Folks, I'll uh, get into it right off the bat. We've suffered a loss this week, a terrible loss. And everybody's talking about it. It's been all over the news, all over Twitter. We've all collectively come together on something finally, and that is just how terrible this death has been. Um, Conor McGregor killed Machine Gun Kelly, and it was just an atrocity. It, it's, it's, it really is a true tragedy. He was a young man. His girlfriend was there to witness it. It was awful. H&M is having a sale in his name. Every sale of skinny jeans and chain wallets, uh, $5 is going to his family. Uh, so they should make, uh, given I was just in there, they should probably make about a million dollars before the, the week is done. No, it's uh, really, really terrible. I'm kidding, of course. I'm, I'm not going to go on too long with that bit. Uh, no, Conor McGregor and Machine Gun Kelly. Machine Gun Kelly is alive and well. I don't want anything. I, I enjoy a lot of his music. It's, uh, I mean, it, it takes me back to when I was 21, nine years ago, uh, and just boozing away wanting to be a white rapper myself. And he was one of the guys I saw, and I went, oh, I can do that. So thank you very much, Machine Gun Kelly, for your contributions. You inspired a generation of suburban white kids who hate their parents to get on SoundCloud and rhyme the word ball with fall. <sighs> yeah, no, Conor McGregor. Conor McGregor's at it again. You can't have that guy out in public. He's a liability. I don't know how he hasn't been. He, he just starts fights everywhere he goes. He, he's, he's in another country and he does it. I don't know how they haven't sent him back to Ireland. I'm all for the American dream. But there's, there's a legitimate human weapon walking around and they do nothing. Nobody's, nobody, nobody's considered the fact that that a just a body with with fucking arms of steel not legs of steel apparently is just going around starting fights throwing inanimate objects at buses and fighting white rappers dressed in pink i don't get it i don't get it i don't get why the U.S. government has not taken action and at least maybe scolded him and said, all right, buddy, one more time. One more time and you're out of here. Uh, no. Poor Machine Gun Kelly. Megan Fox was there to watch it. Everyone was there to watch it. Apparently it was all over a... They, they, they got into a fight on the red carpet of the VMAs. They, they didn't start throwing blows, but, but Connor was ready to dropkick his ass. I think he threw a drink. That's when you know shit's serious. When an MMA fighter throws, you, throws a drink at you, that's basically his warning going, okay, that was a soft one. I'm going to start throwing haymakers in a minute, and you're not going to like me. Apparently, it was all over a picture. That's the word. I like Connor's camp had something to say about it, and the Machine Gun Kelly's team they had a whole different story. 
But apparently the whole the, it it all erupted after Connor asked MGK for a picture. And clearly Machine Gun Kelly said, "No, let's get a video." It's pretty wild. No, um, r- really, really fired up for Machine Gun Kelly's new uh, next album. Whatever it is, it's, it's probably going to be called Tears of Winter, whatever. Just some stupid shit. I don't know, some stupid SoundCloud hot topic name. I don't know, like uh, Streets of Depression. You know, avenue of pessimism. That that's if if I was if I was still rapping, that would be my. That would be the name of my debut album, Avenue of Pessimism. It just screams middle class. Oh man, I don't know how I don't know how to get into this, man. Uh, R.I.P. Norm. R.I.P. Norm McDonald. He was one of my, in in my top five favorite comics of all time. One of the all-time great late-night guests. One of the all-time great stand-ups in general, but when you saw him on late night, that man controlled the room. People were hanging on his everywhere, and he would do these long, drawn-out bits, like the moth joke, which is quite possibly his greatest moment on TV. I mean, the OJ Weekend Update stuff was fantastic, but when he was on Conan telling that joke, and he 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 did these bits on Conan multiple times, and you were just listening to him because you it was just so brilliant, and not a ton of comics have just the the cadence, let alone the talent to to do that type of material and pull it off. I don't think I can. I don't think I can. Every positive label that you can give a comic, Norm Norm deserved, rightfully. I mean, me doing stand-up, which was the name of his Comedy Central special from 2011, I believe, 2011, one of the more underrated comedy specials of all time. I remember uh, on Tuesday, I had taken a nap during my lunch break from work because I work at home, and I wake up, and I get on Instagram like a good millennial, because that's what you do. You pick up your phone as soon as you open your eyes. Obviously, if 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 you're if you're a thirty year old worth your salt, you have your phone sitting on your bed next to you as you snooze. And I picked up my phone, and I look on Instagram, and I just see one of my buddies, one of my comic buddies, has R.I.P. Norm. And I go, what the fuck? And it, I, I thought it, it, it reminded me, it was very similar to when Mac Miller died. I just saw one quick little story. And then 10 minutes later, it was just this flurry of RIPs, RIPs, RIPs. And I remember right after seeing that story of Norm, I get just this barrage of text messages from buddies of mine, comics and non-comics. Yo, man, did you hear? I get one. I get one comment. This is this is the ultimate greeting between two good friends. All you need to do is text them, dude. And that's when my buddy texted me, and I knew exactly what he was talking about right away. And I just go, "Yeah, I saw." Well, on a lighter note, uh, I said earlier I did go to H and M 
very recently. Uh, DeWitt is transitioning into fall douche mode, everybody. We're mid-September now. I, uh, I want to get a head start. So that's what I did. I went out to H&M and I went on a splurge. I bought two pairs of new, uh, identical blue jeans, bright blue jeans. Not skinny. They're slim jeans. They're kind of flexible, whatever you call that. And then I bought two sweatshirts and then some socks. My sweatshirts, I bought a, a nice, some nice pink plaid, some black and pink plaid. I am, I am morphing into a, a, an MGK clone. If only I had his jawline. <laughs> then we'd be brothers. But I bought that, and I bought a, a, one of those cringy Nassau sweaters that they had. Nassau. NASA sweaters. Holy fuck. Can't even get that right. One of those cringy NASA sweaters that just shows the NASA emblem. I'm wearing it right now, actually. I love it. It's a very comfortable sweater. I haven't had it. It's a gray one, and I haven't had a gray sweater in a decade. So I'm like, God, I'm 30. I want to relive my 20s for a month. Let's do it. Yeah, so no, it's a good-looking shirt, and I, I, I bought it. It is what it is. But I was in there, and I don't know. There, there's no business for me to be in there at 30 years old. And they should have a law for H&M. First of all, H&M, should, the name should be changed to Fuckboy Groceries. Because that's what it, everybody in there just looks like. They're, they're, they're dealing with five chicks at once. They're just in a texting battle back and forth with five different women from five different towns. Everybody's just got that, just the hair. Everybody's got the merce. You know they're, they're going to be vaping the second they leave that store. It's all just the same profile of guy in H&M. And they all want the same identical Jurassic Park sweatshirt. It's either Jurassic Park or Buzz Lightyear. No one can fucking grow up in that store. But for me, I'm, I'm willing to admit it. I'm too old to be there. I'm too old. There should be, it should be outlawed for me to set foot in H&M. Forget vaccine passports for H&M. Forget, forget vaccine passport. Just, there should be a guy standing at the door saying, Hi, I want some ID. Are you over 29? Yes, I am. Okay, then get the fuck out. I don't know, go to Skechers, go to Marshalls, act your age. Anyways, great sweater. That's all I'm trying to say. Uh, we're episode 48, something's off. We're hitting the big 5-0 in two weeks. And I'm recording this on the Thursday, the uh, the day before I release it. I don't know why that didn't occur to me before. I, I don't know what it is. I don't know what I was thinking. I guess I, I, I recorded, I used to record it on the Sunday and just let it sit for a week and then put it out on the Friday. I don't know why I would do that because now I can just comment on things that have happened throughout the week and then drop it. Uh, at the end of the week. And I think that that's a, that's a pretty good schedule. It's a pretty good system. I'm probably not going to be able to do it all the time. But I was doing it on the Sundays for forever, for almost about a year. And I don't know why. Maybe because on the Sunday, I'm more relaxed. I'm ready to... I'm, 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 already, I'm already unwinding. And I just want to sit 
and just talk, right? That's what Sundays are for. Sundays are for you to just wallow in shame and just and think about all of the stupid things you did and said during your blackouts on Friday and Saturday. You just you just need to sit and have that moment to go, do I need to pull my life together? Possibly. Yeah. So I'm recording it on Thursdays. Uh, hopefully I'll be able to do it more because I, I, I'm kind of I'm liking this. I'm kind of liking this. I didn't do a set tonight. I'm just kind of staying in and fucking catching up on my bullshit. I don't know where I'm taking this. But it's good to be back doing stand-up. I've been doing some, uh, some rooms with some real characters lately. I've done a couple clubs. I did Levity in Hamilton yesterday, and that was a fun-ass set. It was good to be back in an actual club with an audience that was there, and it didn't seem like it was. It was we, we were in a pandemic. It just seemed like people were just sitting there, they were having drinks, maskless. You had to put the mask on to go to the bathroom and shit like that. But you, you were just sitting there. Everybody was just kind of enjoying shit, and I really had a good set, and I was I was happy doing that. But I've been doing some fucking rooms lately that have just like. It's, I love doing stand-up in general, but it's it's certain moments where you feel like, you know, this this is something that I chose for my life. It's like Hyman Roth said in Godfather 2, this is the business we've chosen. There's no going back. And for me, I guess after 10 years of this, there is kind of no going back. I'm just going to do it. My, my, my greatest fear is being 45 and, and still kind of going around doing open mics and being that guy who gets minimal laughs at best. But I, yeah, I'm, I'm, you, you just, it's kind of trial by fire-ish to come back and do stand-up post-quarantine. You, you've got to do these rooms. And I, I've been doing some places that if, if like a human bowel movement could come in real estate form, it would be some of these rooms. But I appreciate them nonetheless because it's a, there's at least people in there. There's at least bodies in there. Uh, sometimes literally bodies. Anyways, those open mics are nuts, man. I, I've done so many of them that are just... just <laughs> I almost feel like it's it's an episode in, its, in itself just to, just to talk about one particular play. But it is... Uh, I, I'm trying to think of one particular story. I mean... I mean I was maybe a year into doing stand-up, not even. And there was this place called Celts Pub or Celts Pub. It was this Irish pub that was run by, I forget, some family. But I would do this place, Celts Pub, and you would have to go down into the basement. And we would do the show on Wednesdays. It was this open mic. Anybody could go up. And during the, on the weekends, it was a place where these, these metal shows would happen. So you were doing stand-up on a stage with a fucking literal pentagram behind you, just hung up on the wall or drawn on the wall or something. And it, was, it would just be like the, like goat's horns sticking out of the wall. And I, like, I, I remember doing this one particular show there that night where these cokeheads came down, and we called this guy Cokehead Eric. His name was Eric, and he just kept, he kept, uh, he kept sniffing. Right. And he just seemed like a guy who was on Coke. And I'm about 18 at this point. I haven't encountered that many Cokeheads. I'm pretty naive. It may have been my 15th time going up and, and telling jokes. 
And I remember this guy, the, these guys were just watching the show and they would not stop talking. So finally, one of the comics who was sitting right in front of the guy turned around and went, shh. And the guy just blew up. He's like, what the fuck? And he pushed the guy off the stool and this whole you know thing broke up and, 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 and we were yelling at the guys, get the fuck out. We, they were outnumbered. So they left. But as they were leaving, they started popping balloons. There was this there was this birthday party that was happening, I think, probably the night before. And they didn't bother picking up the balloons, the people that owned the place. So they were just laying around there. So in anger, as they're walking out the door, out of the basement, they start stomping on the balloons. And the guy, Eric, Cokehead Eric, sticks his head out the door as he's leaving or back into the room and says, We'll be back, motherfuckers. And he just walked walked right up the stairs. So that was that. It was an adventure. And I remember the rest of that when it finally was my time to go up on stage because I hadn't gone up yet. I was a nervous wreck. I remember I went up with a pool cue on stage and just stood there for five minutes with my cue in hand, anticipating the return of these disheveled gentlemen. And it was a terrifying experience. But that was one of them. That was that was Celt's Pub or Celt's Pub, whatever, whatever. It's gone now. It's like, I don't know, probably a brothel or some shit. Probably the same guys partying there. I always wonder what happened to guys like that. Like, just encountering people like that in life. You always wonder what happened to them later on down the road because you never see them again you just you can you can only really wonder you know did they get their lives together because those guys seem fairly young or did they just descend deeper into the hole of despair i don't know it's a mystery but uh, fucking standing with a pool cue i mean like i i've i've done so many weird sets in places where people are playing pool. Like, I remember another place, it was in Brampton. It was this room, one of the many open mic rooms that was run in Brampton at the time. Brampton is a suburb of Toronto for the outsiders listening. And I remember being in there, and you were just in there with animals, like these guys who were 50, who had lived a life at that point, probably divorced. A couple guys probably with prosthetic legs, you just didn't see it because their jeans were thick. And... They were just playing pool, and it was it was in the it was in mid October, so the the season also contributed to the mood of doing comedy. And I remember I was in there, I was doing a set in front of these guys. It was all dudes again who had lived lives. I'm maybe 22 at this point. I'm four years into comedy, and I'm just fucking eating shit. I am eating shit on stage. Actually, there wasn't even a stage. It was one of those ones where it was just a floor. It was just you are standing you are standing at the same level as these miserable guys who are just sitting there drinking. They don't want to hear about your dick. They don't want to hear about your time fingering. They don't want to hear about uh, a drunken night you had. They don't want to hear about your stupid buddies in their in their BMX bikes. They don't want to hear about your lack of perspective. They just want to sit there and drown in Orion Ginger or a pint of Guinness, or something. They just want to be there and just mind their business. They don't, want, they don't want the soundtrack of despair that is spewing out of my mouth, or what I think is despair. 
And I remember I'm bombing in front of these guys. And there's this table of guys in the back playing pool, probably 20 feet away from me. And I would just tell a joke, and all I could hear was the clinking of the pool balls. That, that is one of the worst sounds to bomb to. That's, that's in my top five worst sounds ever to bomb to. And I've been talking to other comics about this and what their worst sounds are to bomb to. For me, it is, I don't know if I have a five that I can name off the top of my head, but it's the clinking of pool balls, an ice machine, a radiator, uh, the sound of an immigrant family if it's in one of those venues where there's an apartment on top, where there's just like a set of rooms where there's like a family living, a, an immigrant family arguing in another language, I remember hearing that bombing. Uh, and I'm trying to think of one other, maybe a car backfiring. I've I've heard that. Is that fire? It's something. It's something like that. Anyways, I all I would I would just bomb to the sound of these pool balls clinking. And I remember one of the guys playing pool after about two minutes looked at me and said, just go. And I was just, I was looking back at him and we had this stare off for the next three minutes of my set. And I remember looking back at him and I tried engaging with him and every line that I had was falling flat. And he just goes, you're insulting. Just get off the stage. And reminder, there is no stage. I'm just standing with a light in my face and and this guy staring at me. And I remember I keep engaging him, not getting one laugh. There's a guy, a portly gentleman in the corner that now starts talking to me. So now I have two of these idiots just coming back at me. And I look over the pool table and the guy is still standing at me. We're, we're parallel. We are in a straight line, like just staring at each other. It's almost like a Wes Anderson movie. And he just says, you're not funny. I remember that he was finally out with it. You're not funny. Just go. You're not funny. Just go. And he kept saying it. And I had nothing to say. It was one of those moments where my self-esteem just fell through my asshole. It, it just dropped. You were, I was devastated. It was one of those moments where, you know, you have this adult, this guy, who is just insulting you. And just tearing your dreams apart. And there's, there was nothing I could do about it. There was nothing I could do. Had I been a better comic at that point, I would have said something else. I hopefully would have done something funny to repair the situation and shut him down. But in that moment, I was inexperienced. I didn't do it. And I didn't. And I still think about that still to this day. That was one of those moments where, that was one of the first moments in my adult life where it was clear, you know, it, it, it was solidified. My adult was solidified. Mommy and daddy weren't there to stand up for you. None of your teachers from school were there to stand up for you. You are in the lion's den getting torn apart like a piece of steak. And that informed me. I was like, yeah, looking back on that, I'm kind of like, yeah, you know what? That, that was probably a good thing. It was probably a good thing to have those experiences. And I remember I just, I got off and I just did it again. But again, like to you know, just to tr to put yourself out there and try something and have somebody tear you apart like that, because I come from the generation that the narrative is always you're beautiful and everything you try should work and don't ever in in it and if anybody tells you not to do something or you're not good at something, they're violating you. And here I am, 
getting that brutal reminder that life ain't what your third grade teacher told you. So that was that. There's something ominous. And again, like the pool balls kept clinking. Pool balls kept clinking during this standoff. They didn't stop. There's something ominous about pool balls in general. I always associate them, and I don't know why, every time I hear pool balls or see a game of pool, I always just think of, I associate it with like a James Cagney movie. Like a gym, like a gym, like white heat almost. Like, you know, I just, it doesn't matter. It could be a bunch of tweens playing pool at a, at a hall or at a bar. And I just still picture two guys with cigars. Man, what are we going to do about the speakeasy down the street? We got to cut out the competition, say, man. <laughs> every, every sound of pool balls clinking should just be followed by a man, say. Yeah, it was brutal. Anyways, uh, that's about it. R.I.P. Norm. Something's Off Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram. Subscribe on Spotify. Follow on Spotify. Get me on the TikTok. Take